0: Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. I'm here with George Meyer. George is the campus minister for St. James Academy in Lenexa, Kansas. Hi, George. Hey,
1: Tim. It's good to be here.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm kind of using this podcast as an excuse to kind of get to know you better. And uh, also, too, you've you've studied Christianity in an in-depth way that I just... I, I've tried to do, and I'm older, but on the other hand, I think your degree is in it, or your training is in it, and so I'm, I'm thinking you probably have all kinds of expertise that I don't have. So I'm, I'm just very excited about asking you questions about your life and hearing your stories, um, and then also just kind of getting into maybe some Christian things, you sure. know? So um, let's go back to the very beginning. Um, what kind of a kid were you?
1: That's a great question. Uh, When I was a kid, I was the oldest of seven. I mean, I still am. Okay. Uh, But I kind of like to have control over the house. Like, being the oldest, I was the first one there. I kind of like the environment uh, the way I want it to be. Uh, And that kind of manifested itself as uh, strong-willed, kind of like challenging my parents a lot. Hmm. Um, I didn't have a lot of ideas of how to make things better. I just wanted things to be my way and uh, Being recently married. I'm kind of learning that I'm very particular about things uh, That I didn't realize Uh, so so that's interesting Uh, just as far as like little things around the house of like I Want to keep the floors this way. I want to keep the kitchen this way and it's just very interesting Uh, so I'm learning to think like other people. Yeah. Uh, and as a kid, I, I wouldn't have had that in my in my mind. Okay. Uh, so, but I like to have fun, too. Like, I loved playing games. That was a big part of being a kid. Um, played a lot of sports. Played with my family and friends. We're always running around with kids in the neighborhood, so that was nice.
0: Okay. I mean, you are a, a very athletic, sporty guy. yeah. Which yeah. I think is really cool. So, with the kid thing, I mean, being the oldest kid, did you have a lot of responsibility right off the bat?
2: Uh,
1: as far as keeping the house in order, I mean, I had a normal amount of chores and things like that, but I did take responsibility for, for my little siblings, uh, and I wanted to, you know, guide them and uh, be a good big brother, you know, like, kind of protective over my okay. little siblings as well. Yeah, uh, so responsibility for the people in my life, I think.
0: Okay, okay, totally so true. that's that's really strongly imprinted into you, actually, that yeah. level. Are you much older than them, or were you just a few years older than them?
1: Yeah, I am a year and a half older than my brother, uh, who's the second, and then I have five sisters. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of where the responsibility comes into play, too. i like, got to take care of my little sisters, uh, and they range from the youngest— is 17 years younger than me and then the oldest girl is only three Years younger than me. Oh, so.
0: okay, okay. So from three years younger to seventeen years younger. Yeah. Those are the girls. Those are the girls. And then your brother was just hot on the heels right behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was good. All right. And then now that you're recently married, I guess. Well, some people say getting married is like having a mirror held up to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know. That's really funny.
0: Yeah. You've got all these habits and things uh-huh. like that, and and you know, of course, we just think our habits are normal uh-huh. uh, until we're confronted with another person. Uh-huh. Until know. that
1: mirror starts talking. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the, person then, in the mirror starts talking back. And, and maybe you. its first word is, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you know, so. Okay, well, that's great. When did you get married?
1: Uh, I got married on April 23rd, so just about almost three months ago. Wow.
0: Yeah. Wow, yeah. wow, wow, wow. No, I, wait, two months ago. Okay. Yeah, I think I was just in such a blizzard of things that I, I missed the all step email or something. Oh, we, I don't
1: think I sent an email or oh, anything like okay. that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. And
0: we don't intersect all the time. I mean, we right. do here and there, but but this is uh, part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast, get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Okay, so then you get on to high school, and uh, I, I'm just very curious, what did you emphasize in high school?
1: Yeah, my high school, so our high school wasn't very, uh, I don't know, well-known, um, and they started to become more well-known when I was uh, there. And so they emphasize a lot sports and academics. They're um, growing in, in both of those categories. Uh, it was a small Catholic school in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. Okay. Um, so I played a lot of sports, and um, academics were important. I wouldn't say it was an academically rigorous school,
0: uh-huh. um,
1: but the people there definitely really cared about the students. Um, and so there's kind of an aspect of... I wanted to do well in school, but I cared more about sports because Mm. we were starting to have some really good teams, some successful teams, uh, which was fun, Um, and sports was mainly my emphasis, and then building relationships with the other students, I think, as well. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. What sports?
1: So, my school was so small that basically, if you didn't go out, if everyone didn't go out, they didn't really have a team. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, we had eight-man football. And we had um, basketball and golf. So those were the three sports. Baseball
0: that requires nine people. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys have that?
1: Mm-mm. We didn't have enough for baseball. We couldn't put a team together. Whoa. Um, one, because there's only. Fifty people in the high school or so. Okay.
0: Um, And not all of them want to play baseball. Wow. Uh, You've got me beat. I went to a high school with, I think, about 120 people at the time. It was in Iowa, and that was considered a 1A school. And there were 32 kids in my class, and I have just met next to nobody who went to a smaller school. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah,
1: I don't know if I, I... So in that area of Kansas, there was bunch of schools about that size okay uh and so there's a couple that were smaller than us yeah ditto
0: where i was from in northwest central iowa yeah and you were in the middle of kansas or yeah what? like
1: north central kansas it's Uh, North of I-70 in Concordia, Kansas.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. You know, when I grew up in a place like that, I honestly thought it was completely normal. Oh, yeah. Me too. You know, I think I had to get to college as an 18-year-old before I realized, oh my gosh, some other people, their high schools had 1,000 people, uh, in some cases 2,000 people, which was just a total shock to me because, okay, 1,000 people in a high school— My town didn't have a thousand people. (laughs) My town had a lot more cows than people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I I just thought it was totally normal. This is how everybody grows up. I just, you know, I I actually, I don't even think I thought about everybody. I mean, I knew places like Tokyo exist, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, I don't know, one out of six people or something like that who live in Japan, live in Tokyo, some some number like that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. So then was that a culture shock when you went on to college?
1: think so because where did you go i went to benedictine cool and it's basically like the college version of a small catholic high school yeah
0: what is it is it a thousand students is it two it's thousand? Close to two. two thousand yeah, students that's actually two. about the size of my college yeah as well i went to loris in dubuque iowa oh okay which is a catholic school as well oh nice so yeah 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 uh
1: and i think going to benedictine was good um
0: yeah, nice. it's, it's a gorgeous. I just spent three yeah. days there last week. It's, oh, it's gorgeous.
1: What were you there
0: for? Um, it was like a civics conference, oh, uh, nice. you know, First Amendment, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of religion, uh, basically three days for that for social studies people. But, okay, this is a very, very, very traditional campus. And I guess what I mean by that is, I mean, we could talk about the academics or the ethos. I think it's that way. But also, it's it's kind of self-contained. Mm-hmm. It's in a smaller town. It's on the river. Uh, there's just gorgeous trees everywhere. Once you step onto campus, it's a little bit like entering like a, a small town. Yeah, it's, uh, nice. it's it's its own entity. Um, I taught for years at UMKC, and UMKC is great, but it's a commuter school. Um, maybe ten percent of the students live on campus. I think in Benedictine, it's probably maybe ten percent of the students don't live on campus. That's about right. Okay, I was just guessing. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a very, very normal college experience, at least what I think of as a typical four-year liberal arts institution where you're sort of separate in some ways from the rest of the world, and you're just supposed to be able to spend that time dedicated to reading, writing, mm-hmm. thought, hearing brilliant professors, having conversations with your peers. It, it seemed very, very awesome to yeah. me, yeah. actually.
1: Yeah, and I think you've nailed some of the, things that they fought for since the early 2000s, uh, community, the liberal arts education, and then, um, like good Catholic culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are definitely some of the things that they are proud of and have, have built. Uh, and that's what I experienced there, which was nice because like growing up in a really small Catholic school, it was that because it was like a small Catholic culture, um, People and you don't really, you don't really move outside of that. No. Um, like when you're in a small town.
0: When you're in a small town,
1: we didn't spend much time outside of that Catholic uh, community, for better or for worse, really. Um, not really sure. I think it's good for kids to experience good Catholic community. Uh-huh. Um, but there's something to be said about
0: um, mixing, learning, mixing, mixing with, with ye- multiple groups. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and learning from other people and their their world view uh that's been a common theme for me recently just like okay uh thinking outside of who you are you know like yes trying to put on the lens of somebody else and be understanding and yeah um, look at things from their vantage point because they see things differently than you do
0: oh for sure um,
1: they might see something that
0: really help you, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, well, gosh, I always feel like, hey, that's why I work in a school in the first place, because I want to learn from other people, and hopefully I want to be able to teach other people. Mm. And I've just always thought, hey, you know, five-year-olds and eight-year-olds know more about some things than I do. Um, You know, they might know more about joy of life, Mm. for example, and living in the moment, and just like throwing yourself into something with reckless abandon. I just kind of figure, hey, I can learn something from everybody. I can learn something from every age bracket. And I heard a psychologist say this recently, and I thought this was really, really true and awesome. It's that the person you're speaking with is very, very unique. Mm-hmm. And if you're bored listening to somebody or speaking with somebody, chances are you're not paying close enough attention <laughs> because, I mean, that individual over there is one of a kind. True. You know, now I suppose if they're just, I don't know, um, you know, reciting platitudes or just, you know, trying to fit in with everybody else, then we're not maybe seeing the real person there. Mm. Um, so, but in any case, yeah, I, I just, it's, it's good being also in an environment like I think where we grew up though uh, at the same token. And the reason I think it's good is because I've heard it described as sheltered, you know, yeah. but then when I taught at certain schools, not this one, You know, I I knew some students who were sheltered, but kind of in the opposite direction, Mm. you know, like they had a lot of exposure to, well, just basically bad things that they were having a hard time handling, Uh, alcohol, drugs. Um, That was kind of like the tip of the iceberg. The iceberg was huge, Um, you know, running into problems with the law. And unfortunately, this was all some of these students knew. Mm. And then I thought, well, they've been sheltered from books. They've been sheltered from long conversations with people. They've been sheltered from people who have taken a deep interest in their Mm -hmm. well-being. You know, I knew some people who uh, hadn't traveled 20 miles from their neighborhood. Like, they've lived inside of that little bubble, even though they lived in a big metropolitan area. Uh So um, we have this famous place here called the Plaza, which is kind of a premier shopping district. And and, uh, this one girl told me, this was 25 years ago, but I just never forgot this. She said, I've never been to the Plaza. Oh, wow. And she was about 16, and I just thought, gosh, that's sheltered, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but she had a cigarette habit and a bunch of the other habits I was talking about, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. So, I mean, there's just various versions of sheltered. At least it struck me that there's various versions of sheltered. Uh-huh.
1: So, Where do you find that desire in you for exploration, or where did that get kick-started? Oh, I'm I... Interested, cause, With people and with places and with books and knowledge. Yeah. It's something that's inside of you. What is it? I don't know. It's
0: interesting. Do do you think that it's written into every human heart? Aristotle said that humanity's greatest pleasure is to learn. Hmm. And when I read that, I ran through some of the other possibilities. Like maybe humanity's greatest pleasure is Doritos. (laughs) You know? And then I decided, no, it's probably not Doritos. I thought Aristotle's actually probably right. You know, he's says a lot of other bright things. And so this one seemed, well, maybe this is true. But, you know, my mom was a librarian, and uh, my folks liked to travel when I was a kid. Um, and they were really good about letting us explore our interests if we wanted to go out for the sports or go out for the plays or anything like that. Um, and then just as a little kid, I just loved, loved, loved to read, probably because my parents were reading to me all the time. And who knows, maybe I just equated oh, hey, they're reading to me, I'm four years old, they love me, they're paying attention to me. Maybe I just sort of mixed all those things together. Like, oh, hey, they love me, and we're reading books. So it just all got blended, like, I don't know, peanut butter and jelly or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't know, That's that, that would be my guess. Cool. Where I got that from. Yeah.
1: I so. think you're right. I think it is in everybody, but I think some people have suppressed it. Yeah. To, like, protect themselves. Yeah. I think it's an interesting...
0: There was a skit on Saturday Night Live a long time ago where um, they had these cavemen out doing their thing, and one of them said, that sounds like a new idea, and therefore I fear it. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. New ideas can be scary. I mean, just oh, for sure. look at
1: some of the, like, I mean, we're talking about Christianity later today, but yeah, thinking about, like, people were afraid of, of Jesus, and what did he do? He brought peace into the world. He brought a new way of thinking. Right. So... New ideas are really scary.
0: Yeah, but what if we're used to conflict with all of those other people all the time, and then somebody comes along advocating peace?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's revolutionary.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, the <laughs> like, rebel.
1: Love your enemy. <laughs>
0: yeah. That. Thanks. I don't know about that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit right. here. Okay, so college. What was your degree?
1: I so studied theology but that was a later development i went in thinking that i would do physical therapy or or something like
0: that because you're very athletic and sporty yeah
1: and i wanted to i wanted i knew i wanted to help people and kind of the way that my 18 year old self thought that would be best was to work with like athletes and help them get back on the field yeah because i'm 5'6 and uh there aren't very many sports um, that you can make it very far in being 5'6. Okay.
0: Um, yeah, what did, okay, you did football. Uh huh. You can do that, can't you?
1: Yeah, you can, but I didn't have the skill set. I, I never hyper developed a skill set to be able to be like a running back or a cornerback mm.
0: um, where you see people who. Are you just like one of those all-around guys? Yeah, that's kind of how I am. Okay. Uh, but not a jack of one trade. Mm-mm. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay. Uh, okay.
1: Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, I'm kind of a utility guy um, and with the way that the sports world is now, you got to you got to put your nose to the grindstone for one thing if you want mm. to make it and you really have to love that thing. And I just love so many things and want to be able to kind of do everything that I never Developed specifically in one skill. So I figured, let's just help people get back out there. Okay. And still kind of be a part of okay. everything. Okay. Um,
0: I think that's a cool job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it was. Um, but then, just kind of like doing it, I wasn't very really happy. Mm. And Why? I think there was, I wanted to do more. That's kind of a, another theme in my life is a, a desire for more. Okay. Whatever that may be. Um, do, do
0: you think I don't know? Do you do you just get bored easily? Yeah, I would say that's true. Okay. Um, Boredom's an engine for creativity. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Where did you learn that? Well, I can't remember, but I've read a few books on creativity um, uh, because I like to do creative writing and right. things like that. But then I also like look at business people who are entrepreneurial, and sometimes they come up with new ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, or sometimes, like you study inventors, like people like Thomas Edison, etc. And uh, you know, so like there's there's just a gigantic need for creativity in life, I think, no matter what field you're in. Mm-hmm. Some people probably need it more than others, other people maybe less. Like if I'm running an institution that hasn't changed very much in fifty years and might not change very much in the next fifty years, and my goal is to like run that institution well and maintain it well. Maybe I don't have a high need for creativity, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of other people do and before the cell phone came along, I think it was a lot more easy for people to get bored, Hmm. you know? The minute people get bored today, they reach for their phone and then they get on the internet or YouTube or something. Um, And hey, maybe that's fine. But I don't know, just as a kid, hey, just sometimes in class, I was a clock watcher, Hmm. you know? Because, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes even in a good class, I sort of did this at this conference the other day. I'm there for three days and... You know, we're in various classes from, like, 8 in the morning until about 5 p.m., something like that. And, you know, I mean, we get little breaks here and there. but And and everything was very interesting. But at the same token, at certain points, I just found myself, like, watching the clock. And I just felt like a kid again. It's just kind of like. And then I keep, like, a little notepad. And then random ideas occur to me. And I write them down. See, the thing about boredom as an emotion, I just really think this is super interesting, is everybody hates it but it can't kill you yeah but i hate it you know and so then this is where people's creativity oftentimes come from it's like hey you're listening to this professor really 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 boring you know i don't know like the love life of snails or something like that and you're just like bored you know and then all of a sudden you just start coming up with various ideas
1: Huh, that is interesting. Where did you hear that boredom is an emotion? I never thought about well, it. Well,
0: like I, I don't know if it is an emotion, technically. Like, I, I was talking with an, a few other psychologists, and, you know, some people say, hey, look, there's really just three emotions, glad, sad, and mad. But huh. then other people say, no, 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 we've we've got about, roughly about 15. And they include things like disgust, uh, hurt, uh, fear, surprise, um, uh, I'm blanking, you know, but, yeah, bunch like that. Interesting. Yeah, but also happy, sad, and angry. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, it depends on whose list you look at. I've seen lists where it's like, there are seven, and other people are like, there are 15, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. and, and, of course, there could be 7 million if you just go for shades of emotion, you know, because, hey, you got anger, that's an emotion, but, hey, what's irritation? What's mm. frustration? These are slightly different things than anger, you know, because otherwise we wouldn't have different words to say the exact same thing, you know. That's strange. So, yeah. I mean, irritation is different than rage. So I mean, like rage is anger on steroids and then irritation is just okay, it's tiny little anger. And then frustration is the gap between what you want and what you think you should have.
2: Mhm.
1: Huh, yeah. Cuz I've heard of that of like you get angry because there's some disruption in your expectation and reality yes and you kind of have to control your anger based on like all right what's true here like is my expectation realistic what's the reality of things can I even obtain this is it even worth being angry about yeah I've read a couple things about anger it's a very interesting I find reading
0: things about anger and raging (laughs) (laughs) they just make me so mad reading about anger
1: That's, like, the classic situation where when I was growing up, I'd be angry about something. My mom would say, just take a deep breath, or she'd recommend something to yeah. me. And that would just make me more mad, you know? It's yeah.
0: Like, you can... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You need exactly. to address what's
1: actually happening, not just
0: tell me to back away from this. Right, right, yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah, That's really funny. Okay, so you're in college, and then um, you switch over to theology. Yeah. How did that happen? I
1: kind of had desire for more, you know? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the desire to do something more meaningful than just help people's bodies get better. Okay. Um, I took an interest in one. I took an interest in like my own like desire to be a better person. Okay. Uh, kind of had a, a, you could say conversion, but I would say it was more like, um, really running into God for the first time. Mm. Um, and having him reach out to me, um, was, was really kind of, The desire was there before, but I just needed help or a companion to go on the journey with. And and he kind of helped me um, meet some good friends. He, you know, like shared his love for me, um, helped me meet some good friends, some people who desired the same thing, wanted to do more
0: uh, with their lives. This sounds like a really pivotal story.
1: Yeah, It is.
0: Um, you can tell what if you want, but sure, if you yeah. don't want, yeah. then we can skip it.
1: No, I'd love to. Okay, um, please do. So my sophomore year um, was when I kind of made the change um, in desire. I didn't make it officially at the school until junior year, but uh, I, was, oh, man, I was just in a, a rough spot. I didn't really know who I was or where I was going. I didn't have a lot of meaning in my life. I was... I would basically just describe myself as a degenerate that wasn't ready to recognize it because he just wanted someone to help him. Okay. Um, I was just lost. I was yeah I was lost Um, and then I had a couple friends who were also pretty lost and they uh, helped me kind of come out of the the darkness. Um, John and Spencer are their names and um, I'm in both of their weddings that are coming up this year, so that's really exciting time. Yeah, yeah. And they um, convinced me to go to this this conference. Uh, I didn't want to go. I um, thought that it was pointless. I didn't think that I was going to find any meaning there because I grew up Catholic, you know, and I was like, I've tried this and it hasn't worked for me. It hasn't, like, fulfilled me. Um, I think that's because I grew up in the Catholic faith, um, but... was divorced from like God himself Mm. um like I knew the practices and the way of life um but I didn't have a relationship with God at all yeah and that we went to this conference and they were speaking about God as like a person and someone who loved you um who needed you to turn back to him to like kind of begin a relationship with you um and I think you know they weren't really saying anything um
0: Revolutionary Revolutionary You know But maybe it hits you
1: But it, it hit me At that moment Where I was really um, In a tough spot And I think The best way To describe it Is like The Lord just He was like Hey I'm here for you Okay um, I just didn't think He was there for me Okay uh, And And I didn't think He wanted to be A part of my life And he just kind of Was speaking that And I didn't know How to recognize his voice It was kind of just like a I don't know Like a like, I guess this is real, you know, kind of like an intellectual understanding of, like, God is a real person. Yeah. Um, and just a moment in adoration, really, where that just sunk deep into me. That um, God
0: is an actual person. That God is
1: an actual person, and he loves me, and he doesn't leave me alone. He wants to, like, be with me okay. all the time, um, and not just when I'm being a good boy, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, like, I think... This is, it's really kind of hard to narrow down or just to summarize what you're saying. And maybe a person shouldn't do that with a story in the first place. Maybe, maybe the reason, you know, War and Peace is 1,500 pages long is because it needs to be 1,500 pages right. long. Um, but, but to some, I don't know, just trying to grasp this, maybe I think a lot of people, myself included, uh, it's, it's easy to understand one thing, but maybe not two. Like, some people seem like they grew up and they understand, hey, God is a person. God loves me. There's a real relationship that I can have here. Uh, it's it's no different than having, like, a being very, very close to your, your mom or your dad or, or your friend. Um, and then other people, they don't quite have that understanding. Instead, God is a rule book. Like, oh, mm-hmm. here are these rules. And uh, if you follow all these rules, then you'll have the approval of the authority figures and then the authority figures won't punish you. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of like it's either like a relationship or it's rules for maybe people when they're young. I'm not quite sure. And if you're lucky, then somewhere or another, the relationship aspect really takes over. Yeah. At least I hope so. Yeah. I don't know if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't have a theology degree. I'm just I'm just trying to understand.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of life experience and you've been a teacher for a long time. So I know. I, I think know. there's a good Yeah I'm, like uh, insight. Feeling kinda decrepit experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um
0: <laughs> take it by Gerrital. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: uh
1: I think there's something to be said about that. Um there's those are definitely two very good options, I think. Um, I think also there is... There might be a
0: third option. Okay. Um, there's always a third option. And yeah. usually I never... I, well, I shouldn't say never, but yeah. <laughs> it's important to understand that there's a third option and sometimes a fourth option, etc. Uh-huh.
1: I think... So there's the rules and then there's the relationship. Yeah. And I think there's also um, like a big indifference of like i
0: don't care i just don't care either way either way yeah yeah. i don't care about your stinking rules and uh, as far as relationship goes you stay over there yeah and i'll stay over here yeah okay
1: so indifference indifference yeah or, and I don't know where that stems from. Um, indifference?
0: Yeah, indifference. I, well, think. I, I don't know if God's another person. I mean, God's the most important person. But right. if God's another person, well, there's also about 8 billion other people. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's just very easy to get distracted either with other people or with other things.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Distraction. Yeah, I think distraction
1: and indifference. Yeah. And I think uh, it's just easy
0: Either way to it's kind of being be God,
1: I think, is where that indifference comes from. Like I'm doing okay. fine on my own. Um, mm. I don't need God. Like, and and I think it's just part of being young. You think okay. you're invincible. Yeah. Um, but as you start to get a little bit older, you're like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm invincible anymore. <laughs> you know.
0: I thought I was invincible when I was 18, right up into the point when I sprained both ankles in the same <laughs> week <laughs> and was in a boot was on crutches for like. Weeks and weeks, and then I realized, hmm, I guess I'm not invincible. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so pain is a good teacher, um, that you're not invincible and you need help. Uh, that's something I'm learning. Um, yeah.
0: and you're married,
1: yeah, exactly. And I'm married, <laughs> yeah, and, and that's a very good teacher as well, yeah,
0: um, yeah, just that mirror, yes, the mirror, is. yeah, uh-huh. yeah, exactly.
1: Um, but yeah, I think the indifference is a tough one to fight okay uh, well of have to awaken that desire
0: yeah i guess uh you know maybe your story also kind of points out that you maybe sort of reached a dead end with i don't know like the hedonistic or pleasurable right. lifestyle yeah. Yeah. you just sort of reach a dead end where you realize okay i, I was doing this and it was exhilarating because the party was exhilarating and now all of a sudden the party is neutral and oops now the party's depressing uh-huh. you know and all my hopes and expectations have been dashed you right. know like maybe i was interested in this girl but then she wasn't interested in me and now i'm like really depressed and then you wake up the next day and you're like "Hmm, gosh i'm hungover or whatever and you just i don't know there's just so many ways that your expectations can just get absolutely shattered yeah um and so Yeah, I I don't know your full story, but I I do know, like, hey, when the gas runs out of one thing, then that's when people have so much pain, then they realize, okay, I've got to make some kind of a change. Mm
2: -hmm. Because
0: like you said, hey, if I feel like I'm doing fine on my own, why should I change? But if if happiness vanishes and then it's replaced with agony, well, then anything's got to be better than this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Like, in my life, the happiness vanished and anything better than this agony so then it was just like okay i i I actually had a friend um who's at um with me at my time at the missionaries and he said something very interesting he said no matter how bad uh, the thing is that you possess you won't give it up unless Mm. you
0: know there's something better okay and and I think that's probably true. I think it's true. There's a concept in psychology called secondary gains. Okay. And here's basically what this is. Um, I'm not, but just let's be hypothetical here. Let's say I'm an alcoholic and every night I go to the bar. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm there with my friends. But, you know, truth be told, we don't really like each other that much. If we needed something from the other person, you wouldn't be there for the other person. Mm -hmm. Like if your car was in the ditch and you phoned them up, the other person would not answer their phone. That kind of thing. But I'm with these people every night, you know. So then, and if I'm a bad enough alcoholic, maybe I've shattered the rest of my life. You know, like maybe my spouse has left me. My kids have left me. I've been fired from two, three, four, five jobs. Uh, my health is a little sketchy. My money is gone. Uh, I, I just have these friends in the bar here right now. So, I mean, if, if you look at this scenario, I mean, this person should have every incentive to stop drinking, you know, go to AA, you know, take a look in the mirror, just all of these type of things. Um, because you could say like, hey, all the primary reasons for doing this, like fun, excitement, I'm, I'm a rebel, I'm <laughs> breaking the rules, you know, uh, bodily pleasure. All of these things are, are not there anymore. So those, those were like primary things I was looking for and all those things are gone. So then, in fact, you could say like the pain is outweighing all the pleasure. So then why do people persist in this? And it's because of secondary gains. Hey, I still have this bar. It's dependable. I still have like this alcohol. I'm not getting much of a kick out of it like I used to, but I'm, I'm getting something. And I've got these guys that I can talk to. And every night, like we watch like the game show or whatever on television, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, together. You yeah. know. So, so I mean, I've got something. Right. Those are the secondary gains. That makes sense. Yeah. The yeah. primary gains are gone. And the primary pain could be huge. But like you said, hey, if I don't have an alternative to go for, well, this is all I have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. the only game in town. Totally. Is what it is.
1: I, yeah, I definitely think that was that was true for me um, when I was looking in those places for happiness. I think there was also this aspect of um, I, I didn't feel like Anyone loved me in the way that I wanted to be loved, Mm. and so there's also this aspect of I want to avoid that reality, um, and and kind of like oh wow, take a step out of reality, okay, to not experience the pain of I don't think anyone loves me how I want to be loved, okay. And the reason like that wasn't there for me was because I didn't know the Lord, and someone does love me like I want to be loved, and so I think that was why that moment was so pivotal is because, like, the deepest ache that I had was um,
0: relieved. Okay. And and so... You you actually felt, before, I guess, your conversion, so to speak, uh, alone? Yes,
1: I think alone, and then...
0: Misunderstood? um,
1: yeah, probably misunderstood. Yeah, I think I would have said that then. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now, now I look back and I say, "Yeah, people people got got me right," you know. <laughs>
0: okay. No, yeah. it's like they understand me perfectly, and uh, and this is horrible. Yeah, they, exactly. Yeah, exactly. they understand what a what a degenerate I am. Right. You know. Right. So.
1: And uh, so I think that was why that was a big big springboard into the change to theology uh, was.
0: Suddenly, this the, the, shock. Yeah, yeah, the shock. That you like, felt loved. Yeah. And understood. Yeah. And I yeah. want more of that. I want, I want more of that. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like
1: the the best drug, so to speak, Yeah, know, uh, is love from God for me. Yeah. The
0: uh, second best is adrenaline, like yeah. running down a hill, being on a roller coaster.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: That's the second best. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. Um, adrenaline is, is powerful. I was actually listening to the podcast I was listening to yesterday was... All about like adrenaline and dopamine and all of these different kinds.
0: I bet this was Jacko willing. Yeah, you're right. Interviewing it was. Andrew Huberman. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, listened exactly to that right. thing twice. Yeah, it's, it's five so hours busy. long. <laughs> yeah. Totally recommend it. Yeah, it's, it's a so great, great. podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. why I said adrenaline's the best drug. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, and that and that was a very fascinating podcast. Um, and and yeah, when he's talking in there about like dopamine, how it's a infinite but uh, not an infinite but it is a renewable resource or yeah. something like that. Yeah.
0: Um, and you can't I mean it's like the happiness chemical in your brain and some people are chasing it and that's why they'll try to use drugs and things like that. But the problem is it's like you can't really have dopamine 24-7 all the time. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to go up and down. Right. You're not supposed to like artificially jack with it. Which is another reason drugs are bad basically. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's how you get addicted is
1: like Get addicted to
0: that, yeah, that
1: hit or whatever, yeah, it is. yeah. And
0: maybe the first one it's it's pretty good, I don't know. And then after that, like it's less and less and less and less. And then we're chasing like tiny, tiny, tiny highs with huge amounts of the drugs, and right. we're not thinking about like all the negative side effects, like oh, I just like blew a hole in my liver or whatever the case <laughs> may be, yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> uh, and he, yeah, how like you're
1: high will have an equal low yes and and that's where it's like whoa that's actually pretty dangerous you know yeah like if you're gonna have an equal low you need to know that right like, be aware even with like natural things in life such as yeah. like getting married or mm-hmm. having a kid or any of those yeah things. you're on this
0: well i guess women uh i've read about postpartum depression oh yeah like so excited to have the baby you know so very 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 excited and then after they have the baby then Post-Baby Blues? I think yeah. some people call it. I don't know much about it. Neither do I. I should stop right here with
1: that one. <laughs> I don't either, but that's a, that's a terrifying
0: reality. But but I, yeah, it's probably different for every person.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah, you know, I think so, too. So, yeah. so I, don't yeah. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Okay, so you had this wonderful conversion. It uh-huh. led you into theology. Yep. And then how was like the last year of college then for you?
1: It was good. Like I noticed how when I had my priorities straight... My relationship started to fall into place. Okay. Um, And my life was objectively better. Okay. Um, That desire for more is still in me, Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that it can be filled. Whereas, like, I was in despair before because I didn't think that it could be fulfilled. Because I hadn't experienced it fulfilled, you know?
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: Okay. Like, I'm I'm doomed to chase pleasure, and I'm never going to catch it.
1: Right. Exactly. I'm never going to catch, like, the ultimate... Pleasure, or whatever it is. Yeah,
0: Um, satisfaction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. which is different than pleasure, you know, satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So. Yeah. Okay, Uh,
1: okay. So that kind of led me to to have a really good last two years of college. Okay. And I enjoyed what I was studying. I was passionate about it. I cared about it. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was wonderful you know really yeah brought me to a sense of like wow this is cool
0: okay and so then afterward you took in my mind it's kind of a big risk you became a missionary yeah and okay just i i don't know anything about this phase of your life at all uh-huh. so uh i guess what led you to the decision and then what type of a missionary were you where Ooh. do you go how do you have enough money to eat <laughs> um i i guess just give me the whole picture sure so
1: I made the decision uh, because I didn't want to follow a normal track of life. Okay. I didn't want to do the whole graduate high school, go to college, graduate college, get married a year or two after, then do my job and just uh-huh. start a family and do everything normal okay. like everybody else. Gotcha. Um, so I was looking for something that wasn't a job, but that would be um, uh, an adventure and would be like worth my time. Okay. Uh, So I made the decision. I was in my senior year and didn't really know what I was going to do. And it was February. And Father Mike, who um, he was like the priest who helped the missionaries. He came to Benedictine and he spoke about the missionaries. And he kind of gave like a a religious uh, talk about the the spirituality that they had. Mm. Um, And I loved it. My heart was on fire for kind of what he was speaking about. Um, it seemed like more than what I was experiencing, so chasing after that. Okay. That more of like, oh, wow, this is, seems like a, a deeper reality um, than what I'm living now, like serving others, uh, serving. So we, uh, at the missionaries, uh, we served the poor. Okay. Uh, we also farmed, and I didn't really know as much about the farming, um, but it was it's just good work. Okay. Farming is just good work. Uh, okay. And there's a whole spirituality behind that, too, uh, of why we farm at the missionaries. Um, but it was an easy decision uh, because it was where the Lord was leading me. He's like, I want you to come do this for a little while. I'm like, all right, let's go.
0: Where, where did you live?
1: Uh, so it was in Massachusetts in, oh. a, in a small town called South Lee. Okay. Uh, and the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception is an order. Okay. And Father Michael is a Marian father. And he served our community, uh, and uh, so he was, he was great to have around. He's a, he loves the Lord, and he's just like one of those, I, I don't know how to explain him, but when he gets focused on something, he just, he can't stop until it's accomplished. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So... He's, kind of a,
0: a pit bull when it comes to jobs. Yeah, yeah. He's very driven.
1: Uh, okay. Um, and, and likes to get, get things done. He can get things done very well. He's a good worker. Okay, uh, and he was he was great a great father to have in that time. Uh, he he made an emphasis. He's really busy with all kinds of different things like serving his community and um, you know giving other conferences and things like that. But he made a serious effort to come and, and spend time with us because that's the most important work of a father is to spend time with their kids. You know, uh, and the the spirituality there um, it's a pairing of like. Marian consecration and then uh, devotion to divine mercy Um, so we were called the Marian missionaries of divine mercy Uh, and then there were two laymen who also served our community uh, Eric and Louis and they are part of it they kind of helped Father Mike start it okay Um, and and they stayed with the community the whole time kind of um, just in service and we would spend every other day farming okay um And that was with uh, Brother David. He ran the farm. He was also a Marian of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, He ran the farm, and that guy, talk about creativity. He transformed this, with the help of missionaries, he transformed this ditch, basically, into a beautiful property. It was overgrown, and now it's like beautiful property with, with... a Small farm on it basically, okay. Um, and, and he has a very creative and amazing uh, mind for that kind of thing. Uh, and he he was he's like I don't know 60 years old and he could outwork all of us, okay. You know, he just he's one of those people who's very driven, very good worker as well. And um, so it's great to learn from those two guys, uh, yeah, Mike and then and brother David. And then Lewis and Eric they um kind of coordinated. The day-to-day missionary life. Okay. Eric would um, go with us when we would visit our friends who were poor and um, homeless. We served in our daily prayer. We prayed to be brought to those who were lonely, sad, and suffering. Mm. Uh, and I, in my own loneliness of the past, it was like really good um, and meaningful work. Yeah. Um, to build relationship with people who are in that same situation, even though the details might be different. Um, like once you've received a great gift, um, like the consolation of God, it's okay. just kind of natural uh, to want to give it to other people. Uh, and so I, I loved um, being able to meet a few people there. Um, and, and one of the ladies that I met, her name is Pat, uh, an amazing woman uh, who has just a very motherly heart. Uh, she just loves taking care of her, her kids. Uh, sadly, she's been uh, quite abandoned. She lives in a assisted living. Uh, she has some trouble uh, walking and getting around and stuff like that and doesn't have much money. Uh, so she was at, uh, like a, I don't know if it was a government-run place. I don't think so. But it was a small facility <clears throat> with a bunch of um, people who just needed some assistance. Okay. And she was really alone. But she wanted to give so much and didn't, just didn't have anyone to give to. Um, and that was one of the most impactful people that I met um, because we had an ongoing relationship. A lot of the times when we would meet someone who was homeless, we wouldn't see him again. Okay. Um, but she lived in a small town um, where we could continue to visit. Um, we would also visit Boston a lot. Okay. Um, and, and meet people there. But... In Boston, it was hard to see the same people twice. I bet. Uh, it's a pretty big city. Yeah. Uh, but but she was amazing, and I <clears throat> got to keep up with her on the phone, even after I left the missionaries. So it was just a beautiful testament to um, how important it is to maintain relationships and how powerful that can be for, for someone's life. Uh, her phone, she doesn't have any money uh, so we can only really have like a five or a ten minute conversation. Okay. Um, when she calls because she buys her minutes and she she doesn't have enough money really to, to buy many minutes, but um, I haven't called her in a while and I probably should. Um,
0: you've, you've had a lot going on with getting <laughs> married. And, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's true. This, this place is busy. Right, right. Yeah, this place is busy. Um, so that's kind of some of the stuff we did as missionaries, but it, it was really easy to, to get to get there um, like it was the Lord's invitation and, and he makes things work uh, so so that was a really good formation uh, experience for me was that one year
0: two years
1: I spent almost two years not quite two years okay uh, so I started working or I started to be a missionary in September and then Spent the, the year and then decided to stay another year and left in June of my second year there.
0: How do you process, I'm just curious, um, how do you process these gigantic emotional events? Like you mm. meet you meet these people who are very much on the edge of life, Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe they're homeless. Maybe they have something else going on. I mean, they're very much on the edge of life. Mm-hmm. and And, you know, if you didn't grow up with that, which I didn't and maybe you didn't in Western Kansas, how how do you process that? How do you make sense of all that?
2: Mm,
1: How do I make sense of it? I think, you know, I didn't really enter deep enough into their reality to even know how much they were on the edge of life, like how close they were to the edge of life, Um, which is why I wish I, I could have gotten to know them better. And Eric and Lewis, see, they have, I mean, they have that reality in their mind because they had been there seven years or so. Okay. So they've known some people for six, five years, you know? Right. Um, They're
0: maybe more enculturated into it.
1: Right. And so they know more of the details of these people's lives. Um, But from what they shared, uh, the reality of some people is it's just, it's their reality. Like, they don't know anything more. They don't know that they're on the edge of life. They don't know necessarily how, uh, how much more there is to mm. life than where they are. Uh, one, because they just grew up that way. Okay. Or they've been in that situation for so long. Um, because the there's very few, I think, stories where someone who's been in a homeless environment will make it out if they don't make it out quick
0: like when they're young or something when they're young
1: or just when they kind of get to that point Um, well I I I think think it's just such
0: a quick down spiral and it's so hard to, to come out of yeah like how do we get out of this pit Right. Well, like, okay, there's this outfit here in town called Project Uplift. Okay, yeah. uh And uh, they will go around and they will help homeless people. They will give them food and blankets, and uh, there's so many donations. Like, they will give them paperback novels to read and, uh, you know, things along these lines. You know, like, they almost can treat it like kind of a portable grocery store. Yeah. They'll visit various homeless camps and sort of, like, write down what people need, and then they will go and supply these things and um you know that's that's part of what they do and i went on project uplift one night on a run and the two people who were kind of in charge that evening driving the uplift truck they had both been doing uplift for i believe it was 15 years it might have been longer it might have been 20 years and we encountered i think Seventy-eight? No, I'm sorry, about 70 people that evening. That number sticks out in my mind, and they knew 68 of them.
1: Wow, that's amazing.
0: It, it was just totally amazing, and there were any number of people were just by the side of the road, by a bridge, uh, where maybe this guy like hangs out by this bridge all day or most of the day, etc. They would give some of these gentlemen a hug huh. and uh, just ask them, these amazing details about their lives mm. like how is this how is that how is such and such and you, just the level of information they had about these people was just astonishing and right. and there was just real affection i mean there was like hugs going back and forth um, real conversation it was definitely not just transactional like mm. oh what, what type of sandwich do you want <laughs> you know it was it was not transactional yeah that that was like the first part of the conversation and and the relationship aspect was just a gigantic piece of the whole thing it was enormous
2: mm, mm-hmm.
0: so yeah i don't know what to make of all that other than i guess if you really want to understand somebody you do have to spend time with them right
2: right so
1: and the thing the temptation i think for me as a missionary and i think for a lot of people because they they mentioned to us mentioned it to us quite a few times not quite a few it was definitely present in my mind. of um, Maybe they didn't mention it, but this is... The way that they spoke about our friends who were homeless or whatever. Yeah. Um, even the fact that we call them friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it points to, like, there's a sense of equality among right. us. Right, right. Um, and I think, like, at Project Uplift, like, where they know most of those people by name and their life stories. That's like, right. That is what is really uplifting because the food and clothes and and books you know that's nice uh but that's only kind of like you know the the hierarchy of needs that's like the baseline but what people really need is that that relationship higher up higher up
0: well especially in a society i think like the united states you know, if we lived in a society where there was mass starvation going on, I guess I'm thinking of, I don't know, a place like Ethiopia in the mid-'80s, mm-hmm. that type of a thing, where people literally have not had something to eat for two weeks.
2: Right. They're
0: lucky that they're drinking any water. Uh, that's one thing. But if you're in the United States, there are homeless shelters, and there's, there's just not everybody has one that's close by. You know, But, but there's there's stuff here. Mm-hmm. There's food here. People People hopefully... I, you know, people are malnourished, but they're not necessarily starving. Right. So, I mean, in the United States, we do really try to emphasize the relationships. You know, if we can. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right about that. So, wow, this is all very powerful. Um, but but you left like after yeah. two years, and <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, I don't think every job is for everybody for fifty years, right. necessarily. Um, but but I guess. Was there a moment when you woke up and you realized, okay, I need to be someplace else now or, or what, what made you, what made you go? You know,
1: again, I think it was the Lord's call because I loved it there. I really had a really good time and not everybody had a good time there. Okay. Not everybody. Oh, I bet. I bet some
0: people were miserable. Yeah. Look, I grew up in farm country. You did too. Not everybody wants to work on a farm. No, no, no.
1: (laughs) It's so true. Uh, and I loved it there. I, I really liked the way of life, the spirituality. I felt like I grew a lot um, in, a, in a good environment. Um, I, you know, the, it was interesting because the people there, I would not necessarily have, like, been friends with all of them okay. had I not been in that community. Right. Um, but they were all so good. And they were good for me, and they taught me mm. so much, and I learned so much, and I loved like being there and getting to know them
0: are you talking about the fellow missionaries yeah the fellow missionaries got it
1: um and and it was just beautiful a beautiful experience um and to be kind of united in the the mission in the the formation program yeah the world view yeah um it's just nice to kind of have that that common ground oh for sure uh with other people and I loved it but uh, really it was kind of like almost a year uh, that it took for the Lord to, to call me out okay um, I had I just there was just a desire to, to leave even though it was really good and I okay. and I liked it um, he uh, kind of made me a little bit I was just a little bit like little uh, happy a little, unhappy, rest, little restless or something yeah, yeah restless like okay I okay. gotta get out of here okay uh, which is strange because I
2: liked
0: it you know. Um, well, you are an athletic, sporty guy. And yeah. You yeah. have quick movements and, you know, you're agile, so maybe maybe your body just wants to go. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's, I think you're right. I mean, but I think, but I think there's also, like,
0: the deeper spiritual side. Right. You know.
1: Yeah. That's actually interesting that you say that because um, whenever there, like, I can sense the Lord moving me, um, I go. But it does take a long time for him to bring me there. Okay. Um, so, like, I knew I needed to leave, but I didn't know where I wanted to go. I didn't know where he wanted me to go. Mm. Um, so I was ready to move, you know? Okay. Like, I was ready to leave right away.
0: But you needed an alternative.
1: Yes, but I needed, like, that, that the next thing to do. Like, right, I was right. like, I'm not going to leave unless there's uh, somewhere that you really want me to go. Okay. And, and you just know. You kind of just know. Like, okay. Like, um,
0: well, then, then, okay, let's get to that part then.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so then suddenly you knew. How did you know? What did you know?
1: Yeah, I, so I didn't, uh, I knew that I needed to leave, um, but I didn't know why, and I got to spend um, a little bit of extra time in Kansas that second year because my grandpa was sick and he needed help um, oh. from, my family needed my help to take care of him. Okay. Okay. Um, because I was someone who had, like, the capacity to do it. Okay. Um, And I was just in a place where it was going to be good to take a little bit of time away from the missionaries, um, but they gave me complete freedom to come back whenever I could. Uh, They were really understanding, which is great. Okay. Uh, And then, uh, so I took that time, and I got to spend some time with another friend of mine who was going through chemo at the time, got to spend a little bit of time with him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and we just kind of talked about different things in life, and, like, where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, um, so that, I mean, it was a really, like, good time for me, um, I don't know how to explain it, but, like, my grandpa's sick, and my, one of my best friends is sick, and I was just, I was okay, like, okay,
0: so it was interesting, of, like, um, I guess you, God gave you the grace to handle, yeah, exactly, what, what our Extremely painful and excruciating situations. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, and just to be there and to be happy that I had known my grandpa for twenty five yeah. years. So many people don't even get to grow up with their grandparents. That's but that's I right. Knew my grandpa for a long time, and then with my friend, it was just kind of like this trust and faith that he's going to be fine. Okay. Know? Like is he? Is he? Yeah, he's fine. He's okay. um, Hasn't had cancer almost a year now. This well, is probably his God. year spot uh, is this summer, I think. Uh, so that's pretty great. Um,
0: that's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. And is he about your age? Yeah, he's my age. Yeah. Well, so thank, this is, thank God. I'm glad that he's
0: a year clear. Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, May it keep going. Exactly. Uh, and he, I think he, he's had such a good attitude about it. I mean, it was grueling, but he had a I great bet. attitude about it. And, I bet. And, uh, And so in those two situations, there was just peace. And um, just through talking to him... Okay. uh, Did
0: did it just... I don't know. It would seem to me like when confronted with life's major questions, it sort of forces a person to step back and look at the big picture.
1: Right. So
0: maybe that's what was going on.
1: Yeah. And it was was kind of a trigger in my life of like... um, To...
0: I don't know maybe see, see the
1: importance of, of people in my life okay. um, and like uh, kind of like a call home from the Lord of like hey like it's to some extent like ever since I was in college I was kind of like wanted to do my own thing. Okay. like my family, I'm not very good about keeping in touch with them and I'm learning to, to be better about that because these people are the closest people to me like they knew me growing up and all that and that's right helped me become who I am. they're great great people but I just like want to do my own thing right Um,
0: well and and they probably are all you know in that stage of life too where they kind of want to do their own thing yeah exactly everybody Um, wants to be independent everybody wants to stand on their own two feet everybody wants to make it on their own they sort of want to prove that they can do that
1: yeah I think that was a big part of it for me
0: was proving okay that like
1: I don't need you you know Uh like kind of just that I don't know, it's in me, like, oh, I can do this, you know?
0: Yeah, if we could balance independence with the need for closeness and relationships, if we could balance that ideally, then I think our lives would be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wait, say that again, I didn't quite... If we could balance um, our need for independence with our need for relationships, we would be perfect. Yeah. If we could balance those things perfectly. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I'm saying we can't. We're human. Really? We're going to screw that up. You know, some people are going to be too independent and other people are going to be too uh, ensconced in relationships. Mm-hmm. I guess if you could do both somehow, wouldn't that be awesome? That would be great. Yeah. That's a very
1: peaceful place to be. If yeah. Everybody just knows how to do that. It's
0: like a lot of those paradoxes in life. Like uh, you want to be free, but you also want to be close mm. with people. Or, yeah. you know, hey, we want to be just, but we also want to be merciful. It's mm-hmm. just a lot of paradoxes yeah. in life.
1: Yeah, so much tension. And it's like, that's what makes it kind of, I don't know, fun to go through life. It's like, I don't
0: know. It's not simple. It's not. That's what makes it fun. Agree completely. I mean, if we just had like a simple rule book that just told us in every scenario what to do. Everybody just followed everything. Right, right. Like a programmed robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to be a robot.
1: Yeah, I don't either. Freedom is the best thing yeah, and the most good. terrifying thing
0: to, yeah. to have. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Okay, so so you got called out of being a missionary, and then you went home and you took care of people who really needed your help, people yeah. who were sick and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you wind up here?
2: Yeah,
1: so I took care of them, and then I went back to the missionaries for like a few months um, to kind of finished my time there. The Lord wanted me to go back, and Uh um, so in that time, just after, like, reconnecting with some people here in Kansas City, heard about the job here at St. James um, to be a theology teacher, actually, Um, I had pretty much sworn off being a campus minister.
0: Okay. (laughs) Like, there's no way I'm going to do this. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Um, I wanted to teach theology, but I really, looking back, I just didn't have the skills, um to be a good theology teacher yet. Okay. Um, As far as, yeah, I wasn't, I don't think I was confident enough to be a theology teacher, but campus minister um, was a good fit for me here at St. James. I I don't know um, how I would have fared as a theology teacher, but I mean, Beth and Mary, they killed it this year. Like they're, like so many people love them um, because they just did a really good job. Yeah, they're great. Um, And... I uh, I liked being a campus minister. I really did. Um,
0: what, what do you do? What is, for people who don't know, oh, what, sure. what is a campus minister?
1: So a campus minister here at St. James, uh, I organize retreats with Emily, who's the other campus minister, and then uh, Deborah, who is like the director of, or she's got a new title, but yeah. she like takes care of faith formation in the building. Uh, so that's our team. And then Austin, he is part of the team as well he um is helps with everything but he's most engaged in like parent formation and and having the parents help with um their own students faith Mm -hmm. formation and like being a part of the faith formation of the school um and then jerry Tujag, he's kind of our clandestine member uh he (laughs) helps with the food okay really great logistically with food and things like that um, but we organize retreats together. Uh, we help organize all school masses. Uh, I have—I uh, don't know how many I have this year, but around 30 students. Uh, Helpers. Yeah, they help and they're a part of a class. It's—it doesn't have a curriculum or anything like that. Okay. But I do try to teach something or other every once in a okay. while. Okay. Uh, and and honestly, that's what's been a great fit for me from the missionaries and learning how to build relationships was building relationships with the students. Okay. Um, and that's mainly kind of what I try to do in, in my campus ministry, um, specifically with that group of 30. Um, but then also with, uh, all the students. Yeah. Uh, So it's building relationships and then organizing faith formation activities and, retreats for the students as well as the faculty too like we have faculty retreat um, and dream days which are like a faculty day off yeah um, where we uh try to cultivate the faith in people's hearts and minds
0: these are big things too just to let people know i mean the logistics behind these things like uh, a typical retreat might involve taking somewhere between 200 and maybe 240 teenagers out to a, a camp uh you know that's kind of like in the woods and it's got a lake and it's got a rock climbing wall and and you know spending maybe it could be a 24 hours but it, there's one i think that goes for like 48 to 60 hours and you know people are staying overnight maybe they're staying in tents and there's got to be food and then there's got to be activities planned for the entire 24 to 60 hours There's got to be speakers. There's got to be like small group discussions. um, There's mass. There's other church services. There's just a lot of stuff. I mean, there's there's so many moving pieces. It's not quite like an airplane with a million moving parts, (laughs) but it feels like you're putting together an airplane while it's flying.
1: Yeah, yeah. And honestly, thanks to Emily and Ruthie, I replaced Ruthie this year, um... They built some great infrastructure um, for these retreats, and just as far as the logistics go, uh-huh. I mean it is amazing. Um, to where I've only been in the system for a year, and I know how it works. Like, That's it's, cool. It's, it's that. It's, it's so that well simple. put together. Yeah, it's well put together. Um, so thanks a lot to those two. They did a really good job. Crystal clear and everything oh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a well machine
0: okay so then we're coming up on year two we're recording this in mid-june of 22 so we're coming up to on your next year for for your job but also just i guess for life yeah what what are you most looking forward to in the next i don't know the next year the next two years yeah what are you most looking forward to this is a good question
1: i Well, I have to be honest. In personal life, I am really looking forward to just diving deeper into marriage. It's great. Um, I am learning a lot in marriage. There is a lot to be learned. Uh, So thank you to Emily for being patient with me. Um,
0: (laughs) Well, unless she's been married before, she probably doesn't know either, does she? (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, she hasn't been married before. Or Uh, maybe she seems like she knows a
1: lot. Yeah, she does. I think she just has like... uh, a patience she's so patient and understanding which I am not as much patient and okay. understanding okay uh, you got me fooled you seem <laughs> very patient here today <laughs> oh it's been great uh, I love it uh, so uh, that is exciting to me and we not very many people know this yet but we're going to be having a baby in January wow. so that's really exciting Yeah. Wow. I'm really excited to meet our little one so that is just something that uh,
0: congrats yeah thank you that's really awesome yeah
1: and that is just when I get time to sit and think about that it's just it's just great it's just like so exciting it makes me happy I've wanted to be a father more than anything for a large portion of my life. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: Having those six younger siblings, you know. <laughs> I know. And, <laughs> the, you they, probably got imprinted from an early age. Yeah, exactly. And they all have a different imprint of how good of a
1: father I would be. But Yeah. Uh, um, so that that in my personal life, those things I'm really excited about. And then something with, um, I guess it's also my personal life, but with work and, and life in general, I'm a... Um. we have a new campus ministry kind of area in the school okay Um. I think it'll be great because I think it'll draw more students than the area we had before um, just to get to know more people uh, that was one thing that was tough this year is like I would see someone in the hallway and like hear other people talk about them and I'm like oh I want to get to know them too okay Um but there's not always that opportunity uh, uh, to get to meet them because there's, you know, a thousand students here almost. Right. Um, So I think just getting to know uh, students more, build a relationship with them, uh, and and just see how that develops is great. Okay. Uh, I think I'm also excited to keep reading uh, over the course of the summer, uh, go on an adventure. I'm excited in life to go on it. That's what I want my life to be. It's just
0: an adventure. Okay. Um, Can't blame you. Yeah. Do you have one planned?
1: I don't have one fully planned yet. Right now, kind of like the plan is uh, start the family, keep gotcha. the, get the family going, um, and and
0: uh, see where the Lord kind of takes us. You know? Okay. Okay. Um, In an ideal world, if I gave you five million dollars, sure, after taxes <laughs> and some helpers, uh-huh. what adventure would you go on? To be honest, I think
1: what I would do... When I was a kid, the one thing that I wanted to do was visit each continent. Oh. Make it to all seven continents, even Antarctica. That was the one that's going to be probably the hardest to get to, I guess.
0: I think they've got a little station down there. Oh, cool. Yeah. For visitors and stuff? That's cool. I think they might.
1: Yeah. Uh, And and just meet different people uh, around the world um, who are are well-experienced people. Okay. just have experienced life, um, so go like hiking with people in Tibet or, okay. you know, like do random things like that. I, I need to actually like set more concrete goals of like how to do those things mm. because it's very possible.
0: It is possible. I remember reading one author, this was a long time ago, where he said, Just ask yourself, what are the first three steps? And he said, For example, let's say you want to go hiking in Tibet, uh-huh. well, maybe the first step is tonight, get on the internet and figure out where is a hotel yeah. and then the yeah. second one is uh how much is airfare you know uh-huh. and so okay now you've got your airfare you've got your hotel when you arrive uh and that's only two steps yeah you know then the third thing is is like uh I'll look at some of the touristy things to do you know maybe you don't want to be a tourist maybe you actually kind of like want to live there and just really experience but but hey, those would be my first three steps.
2: Right. Yeah. You know.
0: So yeah, these things Thanks are maybe long, a yeah. little bit more simple than than we think, because we think, oh, Tibet, that's so far away, etc.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I've got a friend from my small town who posts on Instagram on under the handle the Adventures of Kenz, mm-hmm. and because uh, her name's is Kenzie, and she just was in Ireland. We're well, not Ireland. I'm sorry, Iceland. Iceland's good. You know. And of course, it's very green. Right. You know, and Greenland's very icy. Uh-huh. And I'm like. You know, whoever named these things, they were obviously, like, trying to confuse everybody. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So, and I was just like, but anytime I know people who have gone to Iceland, it's actually relatively cheap, Mm -hmm. you know, to go there. And they say it's just absolutely magnificent. Mm. You know, but I don't know. People just think, oh, I could never do something like that. But you can. Yeah, You know, it's, it's, it's very reachable. Just kind of tossing that out as an idea. Yeah. Putting the possibility out there. Yeah, so. that's great. Okay. Hey, if you don't mind, I've got maybe one or two questions about Christianity. Sure. Uh, just two exactly. And here they are. The first is, what do you wish people knew about Christianity, but maybe some people don't? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my second one is, what's maybe one or two of the biggest misunderstandings that people have um, because sometimes I think hey maybe the misunderstandings keep people away
1: mm-hmm. uh, what do I wish people knew about Christianity it's not exclusive I think a lot of people look at Christianity and it, even a lot of people inside Christianity um, who are maybe like elitist of like we're better than you Or there's always those comparisons there's so many fights even within Christianity between you know, Catholicism and Christians and and all the different, like, varieties of Christianity. Denominations. Yes, denominations. Um, There's this serious fight for the truth, um, which can make it seem very exclusive to outsiders, especially with, like, the deep tradition of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. If if you don't understand that tradition, it can make it seem very, very exclusive. Right. Um, Well, it's
0: 2,000 years old. It's 2,000 years old. Yeah, exactly. So you guys have all these habits and actions that you do and what does it all mean right
1: exactly and since i'm not a catholic i can't come and participate in some of your tr- traditions some of your habits uh-huh. um, um, and that's not exclusive it's um the best way i've heard it explained is like uh as a, a family um but uh, like go and you experience a family in a place where you are culturally completely different. Like okay. a meal here in America in the, in the family uh, is going to be very much different than a meal in um, South America. Um, and they're going to have different rituals and things like that. And there's different behaviors um, that occur Okay. Um, at a family meal um, between different cultures. And um, Catholicism is very much that way. It's okay. like a family... Who has very kind of set traditions um, that's kind of hard to like absorb all of that if if you haven't been in the family. Okay, but you
0: can join the family.
1: But you can join the family. Gotcha. I'd love to have
0: everyone. Okay, Yeah. okay, okay. So that's kind of what you wish people would know. You kind of cleverly maybe answered both questions at the same time, so I'll, I'll just, I'll rephrase in case you want to give me a second one. Sure. Because I, I kind of asked like what do you wish people would know and what is a big misunderstanding and you said well what I wish people would know is that it doesn't have to be so exclusive you mm-hmm. know um is there another one that's out there that you just really kind of wish people either understood or wish people would not misunderstand
1: yeah I think another and this is part of my own like searching right now okay is um a sense of uh there's the book I'm reading right now is called uh, Making Sense Out of Suffering okay. by Peter Kreeft. Oh, okay. And he is trying to answer the problem of evil Okay. Um, and making sense out of suffering in the world. Like um, why does evil exist? Yes. If God
0: is all loving, then where the heck did Hitler and Stalin come from?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I can't make the argument as well as he did because he's brilliant and he's made it very Good argument, and it's concise and easy to read. So, I would recommend that book. Okay. That's something that making, people are wrestling with right now as well. Uh, making so,
0: Sense of Suffering.
1: Uh huh. Okay. And that's Peter Kreeft. Um, so, that book, he's just laying out step by step um, and trying to reconcile the, um, the reality of a good and loving God and mm. the fact that there's suffering in the world. Okay. Um, and he kind of answers it but he doesn't answer it like a classic you know, philosopher And um, it's, it's wise um, with mystery like, it's a mystery Like we can't fully understand how God is all good but there's still suffering in the world and we can point to things that help us understand it yeah. but we'll never fully be able to grasp why that's how reality has
0: unfolded Um, I I like your answer just because I just feel like so many people would really prefer something that can be stitched on a pillow. Mm,
2: mm -hmm. And
0: you're basically saying that, hey, God is complex and God's creation is complex and we are complex and things just don't get easily summarized necessarily. I mean, just one explanation I've heard as to why God allows for evil to exist in the world is we have to have free will. Yes. Yeah. And if we're going to have free will, then I need to be able to choose good or something that's kind of neutral, maybe, or something that's evil. And if I and if I have no choice, then I have no free will. And if I have no free will, then I'm just a marionette. Mm. I'm not an individual. I'm a puppet. Yeah. You know. And so. Um, that's just part of it, you know, and then also, too, I guess there's contrast, you know, people understand lights because they understand dark,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, they understand strong because they have weak, etc. We have contrasts in life. Um, the thing is, none of that really nails it, though, perfectly, because somebody could ask, well, if God is all good, couldn't he figure out a way to give us free will, but just keep evil out of the equation, mm-hmm. you know, somehow, couldn't he just like leave that out? And I don't know. I'm not smart enough. <laughs>
1: Neither do I. It's actually interesting that you hit on that, um, because that's part of, like, Peter Kree's argument, is that um, we can only know, like, how good life is because of the, the suffering that it takes to make a great life. I think so. Um, well, you,
0: you had your own story, but I, I feel like I've had similar stories in my life of, of gosh, you know, you were just in this of despair, maybe your sophomore year in college or so, just really, really kind of depressed, and you tried all like the conventional things to make yourself happy, and exhausted all of those. I mean, you you were very thorough about like <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. okay, I'm going to try A, B, and C. All these other people are telling me how wonderful these things are, and and maybe they started off wonderful before they they declined into mm-hmm. this pit. Um, yeah. So I mean, you kind of had hit rock bottom, so to speak, in order for you to rebound Mm -hmm. and experience happiness right and yeah totally I think that's also there's nothing more joyful than a person who's been sick for a long time who suddenly is healthy right because it's a great triumph it's a triumph yeah like it took a lot of effort
1: things are so much more powerful pleasurable worthy when it has taken so much effort and and trial to achieve it you know marathon running that's not an easy thing but you can say like that the training like right before you start training you're like i don't want to this this is, not this is not worth it 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 that's like the the, the replay thing yeah and and when training gets hard maybe you get injured or your life is it's a little bit busy and you don't necessarily have time to train like you want to uh, it's it's not worth it.
0: Yeah, then you're especially like this is not worth yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. You cross
1: that finish line, you're like, when's the next one? That's right. You know, it's like I got to recover, but when's the next one?
0: Yeah, um, exactly.
1: I've never run a marathon, but you have, so yeah, I
2: mean,
1: you can probably speak and you kind of know these things. Oh,
0: it's it's very true. Gosh, yeah, I, I could tell marathon stories all day. Um, gosh, yeah, the very first one that I was going to do everybody was telling me their horror stories before the first one uh it was kind of like all these people were coming out of the woodwork for the express purpose of discouraging me uh you know people would say oh yeah you know they glorify that very first guy who ran a marathon back in ancient greece they don't tell you that he died (laughs) right you know and then they'll also things say things like yeah my cousin fred he ran a marathon and mile 17 he collapsed and you know they had to put him in the ambulance and he didn't woke up three days later you know uh-huh. then they'll tell you about like people who and yeah then there's there's so many gross stories on top of it right. of, like fluids etc i i don't even want to get into all of that right. but it was just kind of like these people viewed it as their mission in life to discourage me from actually running a marathon uh after i ran the first marathon all those people magically disappeared. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened to them, but I ran a ridiculous number of marathons. I ran 51. Wow, nice. I, I just a little insane. If I had to do over again, I think I'd do three.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah,
0: here's what I would do instead. I would run three, possibly four. I would train with the best people. I would run the fastest marathon I could possibly run. Uh, and then after that, I would say the year of marathoning is now over. And next year is going to be the year of CrossFit. Mm. And then after that, it's going to be the year of rock climbing. Then after that, it's going to be the year of scuba diving. Then after that, it might be the year of learning French. And then after that, it might be the year of solving ridiculous puzzles like the Rubik's Cube or something. Uh Um, You know, so it would just be a different year, you know, every year after that. I think if I had it to do over again, that's what I would do rather than run five marathons a year for roughly 10 years or so um but it was great i enjoyed it but yeah i i think there were so many lessons i took from it uh one was is that hey you get injured then treat it aggressively uh another rule i had was hey don't get injured in the first place (laughs) like be super cautious because i was 38 when i started oh wow yeah every marathoner i knew was kind of like broken down and injured after a certain point and i was the only one who wasn't and i i thought well it's probably because I'm so nervous about making sure that my shoes are fresh. They only have so many miles on it, and I'm I'm eating, like, a decent diet. And Because when I first started, I couldn't get past 10 miles, no matter what I did. I would just, like, get exhausted and crap out. And I thought, well, how do you possibly run 26 miles if you can't run 11 miles? You know, so then that forced me to, I guess, confront my limitations. Mm-hmm. This might be one of the best things that I learned was is... It just really taught me where my limits were Mm. all the time. I guess it's like weightlifters who realize I can only lift 200 pounds or whatever the case may be. Or maybe like a student who realizes um, I I have a B in this class. You know, I studied very, very hard and I still got a B. You know, just it's good, I think, for people to sort of figure out where their limits are and Mm. where they can push the limits. Mm -hmm. If you're never, ever pushing your limits, I just feel there's a big problem going on. If you're never, ever pushing your limits. Right. It also makes you just really rely on God to be entirely honest. So that I've heard <laughs> entrepreneurs talk this way too, is that, you know, they create this thing, they put this thing out there, they do their best, and then they realize the results are out of my hands. Mm-hmm. My effort, that's in my hands, but the results are out of my hands. And so then you really start pleading with God mm-hmm. at that point, you know, so... Um, not that God's just our ATM machine, who's just going to spit out cash at us, but but it does sort of make you realize, oh, God's kind of like Dad, hmm. you know, and or or you know, God is a good parent, right? So yeah, I hope that wasn't just a big ramble. No, it wasn't. It was good. <laughs> I asked the question. I wanted to know the answer. Okay, yeah. well, Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, so two last questions here for you, George. Sure. What should I have asked that I did not?
1: You know, I think you were thorough. I I'm wondering trying to come up with a question that would pull something out of me that people wouldn't have heard of mm. otherwise
0: um, what's something about George that people don't know Yeah there you go there yeah there you go
1: that's the question I just couldn't put into words like that uh, something about me that people don't know.
0: Maybe you're an open book. Maybe everybody yeah. knows everything. Th- yeah, yeah. I don't know.
1: I think that's the thing is I am a pretty open book, but I think a lot of people don't know that um, because it takes things like this to get the answers. I, I am pretty on- I'm a very honest person, um, but I've been told that, I don't know, there's something intimidating about me. I think it's, huh. it's because I don't usually volunteer information without people asking.
2: Mm, okay. Uh,
1: so I think... That could be one of the things that people don't know about me. So okay. I am an open book. I'm very honest. Very but you're going to people yeah, gonna make people ask. Yeah, but I'm going to make people ask. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's definitely
0: true. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, my very last question then is this. Um, let's just project ahead. You're 100 years old now. Okay. And uh, you're sitting on the porch of your beautiful house with your wife. And um, she is holding your hand. And nearby are your children. And your grandchildren, and maybe even some great grandchildren. Sure. Um, and one of the younger people says to you, Grandpa, um, what was great about your life, mm-hmm. looking back? Mm-hmm. What do you say?
1: You know, if I'm sitting in front of my family, I'd probably point to them. I think, um, and and talk about the family and the stories and. Go through our life and just see how good it was, um, and and share just the joy of of being together, of family life. Um, uh, gratitude for sure, I think, um, would be where I would stem from. Uh, the things in my life that I was most grateful for, the things that I was proud of, um, which would be my family. I think, uh, which is tough because I earlier I said how I wanted to leave my family and go prove myself, but I'm learning the importance of of family and how good um, the people in my life really are. Um, What was worth it would be my family and, like, if I was still faithful at the end of the journey of of being faithful and continuing to to follow the Lord and, um, yeah, it would kind of be a classic grandfatherly thing to do to just look back with gratefulness on, on the things that the Lord did in his life and, and the people that the Lord brought him. I think there's just so much wisdom in, in being grateful for people. Um, and then probably right now uh, point out that the suffering is worth it at the end because that is where a lot of people see that and that's um, tough for, for young people. Is mm. that no matter what you go through, you're not alone and that the suffering is worth it at the end. Okay. Because um, can it can bring some really beautiful things out of, out of people
0: okay that's perfect i'm not even going to try to summarize that <laughs> i'm just going to urge people to re-listen to that sure sure so thank you george this was really great yeah i hope we to. can do this again sometime yeah that'd be great okay awesome awesome thank you for listening to seemingly ordinary the biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to put a positive review in apple podcasts or spotify Nothing helps a podcast pop up higher in the ratings than some positive reviews. Thank you.